You are listening to an Enoch Pratt Free Library podcast. Your journey. Your journey. Your journey. Your journey starts here. Here. Black, 
who is also a huge superstar and somebody that um, I think has done really groundbreaking work with this super modern guide to running for office. Um, I think there's a lot of information out there about running for office and some of it can feel um, very academic or very vanilla, and this book is not vanilla. <laughs> this book is really um, full of really, really colorful anecdotes and really sort of a lot of straight talk. So um, I think it's a, a terrific guide. And I'm sure that we're going to get more conversations tonight about running for office, which is what we're all here to do, to support our friends running. I live in Baltimore City. It's awesome for me to be able to support my friends running and my friends who are making change. Starting with Stephanie Smith. I'll jump to the middle. Stephanie's in her first term, first term in the um, House of Delegates. She represents a district in East Baltimore. She's really on the front lines of education, filling the gap for students in the Baltimore City school system. It's really what she focuses on. She has had successful bills um, this last, what is your first term? So she's just compiling all of these big achievements already. Improving oversight of the Baltimore Police Department, um, creating opportunities for free tax preparation for families for whom that would be a burden to go spend additional money to file their taxes. Um, it is, it is really one of these public services that makes a lot of sense. And really, try, uh, another piece that Stephanie works on is um, stimulating home buying for city workers and creating incentives for city workers to buy homes in Baltimore City. So Stephanie is on the panel. She's a star. They're all superstars. That's what's so fun about this. Brooke Learman, in her second term in the House of Delegates, um, also from East Baltimore. She's a transit expert, somebody who's really on the front lines of trying to bring our Baltimore City public transit system into the 21st century. Um, it is not built for getting to work in the way that our city is currently configured, and Brooke is working as hard as she can to improve oversight and accountability and frankly just get some common sense to the way that our public transit system works. She's also responsible for the Styrofoam band that has, um, yes, there we go. One of the first in the nation and, and one that um, really is on the cutting edge of um, protecting our environment and making sure that we're sort of keeping um, unnecessary styrofoam out of the landfills. So, Brooke Learman. Uh, Shannon Sneed is our next superstar. And Shannon has made a lot of news this week. You've probably already seen her in the Baltimore Sun this week. She um, is on the front lines of really creating a, getting rid of gag orders for people who are, um, have to sue the city. Or, or get settlements with the city for whatever reason with city government, including, you know, most notably the police department and issues of police brutality. If you have a settlement with the city, the city requires you to not talk about it. And Shannon is on the front lines of making sure that that is a lasting change and really trying to make sure that that is something that is, can carry on for future administrations. So she is on the front lines there. You might have also seen that she's um, working on legislation to make sure that people who work for city government don't have to be tested for marijuana before they're offered a job, which is something that um, Shannon is on the front lines of. The Baltimore Sun editorial board also came out in favor of that legislation this week, and she's really um, doing all of that work and also standing up for moms and working to create uh, lactation rooms so that moms do not have to pump in the restroom. <laughs> something that many of us on this panel And so, Shannon, to me, we need to clap for Shannon. And Danielle McCray is the newest member of the Baltimore City Council. Yes, yes, the first woman to ever represent the second district, first African-American woman to represent the second district. So Danielle put her name in, which I think is something we should talk about tonight. She put her name in the appointment process. So um, when Brandon Scott became city council president, his seat became open. And um, she put her name forward with 21 other people and worked her way through that appointment process and received the support that she needed to gain the appointment. 
and really somebody who, um, you know, sort of put it all on the line and said, I think I'm going to be the best person to represent my community and let me make my best case in this process that was very different than, frankly, just flat out running for office. And so she maneuvered that process really well. And she's on the front lines right now on both economic de development and crime and fighting crime, the two sort of major things that we're facing in Baltimore City. Danielle is right there on the front lines. So let's clap for Danielle, the newest member of the Baltimore City Council. And then Kate Black, our author tonight. Um, and Kate Black is um, obviously Roe represent, and I'm so glad that this work is out there because as I said, it's like, it's real life, um, the things that you would go through your mind when you're thinking of running for office in the modern age. And, you know, it's really a lot of straight talk, but it's also very powerful and sort of very motivating. And so I think it's a terrific book, and I feel like we're going to have a chance to discuss it, discuss it tonight. But I was lucky enough to meet Kate when she was working at Emily's List. I worked at Emily's List a few, few short years before Kate. Um, but we did not overlap when we were there, but Kate was both the Vice President of Research and the Chief of Staff at Emily's List during the boom years of getting women elected to office and the years that really made lots and lots of change. She now works as a policy advisor in the federal government and um, also works in her own community to make change. And so she created a really terrific um, program in DC to provide free salary negotiation training for women um, in DC with a number of different organizations that sort of bring women together who are in the workforce and give them the tools they need to get the most bang for their buck. But in the meantime, we are all um, uh, here tonight to discuss Represent, which is an, a really just a, a breath of fresh air in the world of women in politics. And so I turn it over to Kate for our discussion. Thank you, Mark. Awesome. Thank you. For those of you who, you know, have been with Marco, Talk to her, you know, first hand, she's a powerhouse, and she's someone who I look up to as a mentor, so thank you so much. I feel like I'm going to involve in her now. Um, so thank you all for coming out tonight. Uh, Represents the book that I have co-authored with June Day McGill. You might uh, know her as an actress on Grace Frankie. Uh, she's just in the summer movie, The Long Shot. Um, she is someone who, after 2016, I think like a lot of people, uh, woke up after that election and thought, well, that I can do it. Maybe I should do it. Uh, and she, you know, looked around for a book of how to start. You know, she went to Amazon, couldn't find it. There are webinars and tutorials, but nothing basic, nothing that gave her the, the tools that she needed. And so she made her way to me. And we um, had about an hour-long conversation. And, and after that conversation, at the end, she was like, do you want to write this book with me? And I basically just said yes. Uh, I, at that point, had worked over 10 years in politics and campaigns, uh, mostly dedicated myself to electing the first woman president. Uh, so after 2016, you can imagine me too feeling uh, a certain kind of way. And um, so together, over the course of the last two and a half years, we worked to provide the book that we thought would give women the tools they need to get started. And so tonight, what, I've, what I'm hoping we can do is have a conversation with each of you about some of the lessons you learned from the time you run, some of the advice you got, some of the gravity advice you got, maybe. Um, but also, you know, what advice you give to women who are looking to take that first step. You know, I think so often, um, one of the reasons I'm so excited about this specific panel is we think about running for office, we think about the seats in Washington, D.C., we think about Congress, we think about the 435 seats in the House, or the 100 in the Senate, or right now, that Oval Office on Pennsylvania Avenue. But there are so many offices that we can run for. You know, actually there are over 500,000 that women can run for in this country, and I'm so honored that we get to hear a little bit about the work you're doing. Um, so maybe what we can do is just start down the road, 
Um, and I'd love to hear a little bit about maybe the first time you thought about running for office and what, well, your appointment process, uh, but what made you kind of decide to put your name in the ring? So please kind of go down. So I put my name in the ring because I was working for five years to the councilman at a time frame. And one thing that most said is that your experience is your expertise. I said, I know what I'm doing. I know this work. I know my communities. And I can't get this done the right way. Um, I live in a district. I love the district. And I still need to put my name forward. That's amazing. I think. You know, your experience, your expertise is something that we repeat over and over in the book because it's so true. You know, there's data out there that shows that women don't feel qualified. There's this fantastic slash terrible stat that we include in the book which says there was a study done of a pool of candidates, possible candidates, men and women, and a majority of women when asked that they were not qualified to run for office. And uh, when men were asked, the number of men who said they, they self-selected, they are not qualified to run, a majority of that group would still run anyways. And so that's what we're dealing with. And the fact that women are out there waiting for that you know, next promotion, or they're waiting for maybe to get that resume as Christine as possible, forget that you know, their experience in the community is what makes them an expert and ready and enough to run for office. So the reason I ran, I feel like I was complaining, uh, and my husband said he basically uh, he complained about it, do something about it, and I was like, I need to do something about it. Um, and people in the community had said you should run. You're the youngest one around here. We'll help you. And they had no experience, um, and so from there. It was actually, I was working at a television station at the time, and then the GM said I had to pick one or the other, and that's what made it roll for me. And I said, I pick my community. So that was the last Well, and I think, um, you know, the complaining part of it all, right? It's actually one of the first questions that you asked me when we started. She said, well, what would I, what's the first step? And I said, identify the problem you see that needs to and I think it's so true that women often run to solve problems, whereas men, not all men, but most men run to kind of further their own careers. Um, and so in the book, we advise you to think about, you know, what is it that you're tweeting a lot about, relating to your family, what comes up against getting over and over again, what are you talking about with your friends? Um, and that can actually be the motivation you need to get through a campaign, and ultimately maybe your platform or your office. So I'm curious, what were you complaining about the most? So at the time, the current councilman was, was a very nice guy, who is a very nice guy. Um, we just needed, we didn't have trees on the block, we, we just needed some grading in the area, and the policy that he was passing was just not good, and so, and I said, hey, I'll help you, I'm a good writer, I can, like, my, I can help you, and he said, People don't want that. People don't want to read neighborhood. They don't want to read. And so I was like, well, we, we really do. We, we went to the neighborhood. We, we went over here in the community. And so, and I was like, I will help you though. And he was like, no. And so that's what I was coming about. So I was like, I don't understand how he said that we don't want that. And he was like, girl, no. How much should you do with that? Oh my goodness, so the first time I lost, that was in 2011, and so that night we lost by 13 votes. We had been up all day, um, we were winning, so I, I should say 
some of my parents and folks out, but, um, and so by the second time we ran in 2016, we actually, I believe we had like, so very close to like 70, it was a high number, like we all go back with the majority of so um, you, you saw the 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 stats I wanted to share with you already. I just can't do it all. So um, even the title represents, and um, you probably heard some version of this quote before. I'm gonna make the majority of size. And if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. And a lot of times there are people um, who are not maliciously trying to undermine your existence. They just have a thought about what it might mean for you based on your station in life and what you're going through, how it all seems to impact you. So when you think about the title of both represented, like quite literally, I like to feel like I was being represented. I didn't see um, someone kind of dealing with raising children, working, all those different things as a woman representing me. And I think that's really important, and particularly because I'm passionate about public education and the product of public education, and I knew I was going to commit to sending my children to public schools. I thought it was really important that we have people presently doing that, um, representing us. Some people have done it, but they're not doing it in this current paradigm under the current kind of atmosphere we're all living in. So, I, um, so for me, it's kind of like if you don't feel like you're represented, then you need to be that representation because if other people are really situated, you probably feel the same way. And then also, um, I just kind of feel like voting, which is something I've always been very, um, very kind of almost like evangelist about. It's like the two things like if you didn't, if, if you didn't vote or you smoke, I could feel like you know, you Because they all have lead in the pipes. Um, and I was representing community groups 
of Walter C. Liverpool. <laughs> and uh, it was an incredibly frustrating experience because the liquor board, which at that point um, in time the, the commission was appointed by the governor, um, really didn't seem like they could care less about what community members were concerned about. And you know, one corner in Baltimore can really make a great neighborhood. These were community members taking time out to make their neighborhoods better. And there was sort of just this litany of things that I felt like as a you know a, a young woman working mom in Baltimore City, there were all these issues that were affecting not just me, but many people over the city in an adverse way, and they could all be directly tied back to one thing, and that was a failure of investment by the state of Maryland. Um, and I come from, like my core belief is that Maryland can never be a truly great state as a Baltimore city because it's full potential. And I am not convinced, and was not convinced then, that all of Maryland fully appreciates that fact. Um, and so I ran because I wanted, I was angry and frustrated, and I said, you know, there needs to be, at the time, there was like, no moms, no young moms representing the city. And, you know, I was like, there needs to be a place at the table for young moms who are working, who care about like, the future of the city, who care about our schools, who care about the parks, you know, to be a voice for them and for our communities at the state level. Um, and so after a lot of talking with my husband and Martha and <laughs> other people, I um, threw my hand in the ring and um, never looked back. I love it. And it's been, it's been a truly amazing experience. Well, and I'm curious, you know, so often I think uh, this is true for women like doctors, when we're not at the table and decisions are being made about our bodies, our children, or the planet that they occupy, you know, our voices are absent. And I'm wondering, now that you all are in the office or public service, you know, how do you think the conversations around policy or decision-making are different now that you're in the room? I wonder if anyone wants to speak to that. Have you seen a change where a dialogue where people were present and wondered, how did that conversation not happen when you were there? I don't think the legislation bill would have been. I wouldn't say that. I would be literally pumping in the office and they got
where there could be intersections with their work and another advocacy uh, coalition's work, or how perhaps even in the well doing, there's a blind spot that we can maybe um, shine some light on. So I just want to look up that I think it's important for obviously um, elected officials to uh, network among their, their colleagues to make sure that they have an open mind. But it, I think it's also important for them to be uh, working with the advocates or the people bringing ideas to them to see how can we better refine your approach. Maybe I'm with you 80%, and if had you thought about how would it act as part of that, just might see just as an impractical group. Yeah. So I just want to look that Yeah, I agree. And I would add just add on to that that advocates and community organizations and residents, I mean, there um, is a newer, newish organization in Brooklyn area that I represent called The Well, and it's a women's group. And I happened to be driving by one day and saw something about a women's group in Curtis Bay. It was actually Curtis Bay, it was a program in Curtis Bay. And I stopped because I said, well, I've never, you know, this is new, I don't know about this. And so I stopped, I pulled in, I just knocked on the door, went in, and I introduced myself to the folks there. And, you know, it's hard for me to believe that, like, a, a gentleman who was elected would have perhaps done that, but they are amazing advocates of the women in Brooklyn and Curtis Bay. They're one of the only non church, like, non profits in either of those neighborhoods. And today I was just at a meeting with them talking about how to make an empty bus route better serve the people of Brooklyn and Curtis Bay. Right? So, like, even just like getting down in the weeds and discovering and working with community organizations like that, um, I mean, that's sort of a crazy story, but like, that happens. I don't think you know. I mean, you know, whether we're talking on the playground to like people, you know, I was getting an email the other day about recess times at a public school from a fellow mom. You know, I think there's a window that we um, are able to look through and have access to that not everybody does. Um, well, and one of the things that, you know, there are certain barriers to women running for office, right? We know that there are structural, structural impediments in front of them. One of those being in finance. Cost money to run for office can be very expensive. And in the book, we, we try to I think, highlight the women and give tools for where they can use money about basically how much money you're going to have to raise. And that looks very different if you're running for city council or state legislature versus governor or senate, right? But one of the other things we do is because women haven't had the access to wealth and power that men have had, those networks for so long, hundreds of years, literally. Um, we, you know, advocate women to kind of reimagine that what they currently are in, right? Whether that's your sorority, your alumni association, your professional association, the daycare pickup, the recess group, um, the softball league, if you're into that, right? There are so many different ways that you can tap into the community that you're currently in to start a campaign. I wonder if in your campaigns you reached out to, maybe, maybe it was a maybe second ask or a third ask, but those women in your life who are in those other circles, other networks, and, and how was that successful for you? So I just had my first fundraiser. Good for you. A few days ago, and it was nerve-wracking. I shared it with um, Brooke, I believe I shared it with Stephanie, because I had to ask people that I did not know for money. And some people I had to ask a few times, but what I learned is that people who don't know you will give you money. Um, <laughs> they will. <laughs> they will give you money. And something is also talked about in the book as well. But what I did was something was mentioned about, hey, if you're a woman, you don't have access to that network of wealth. I'm not just a woman, I'm also an African American woman. So I had to dig deep into my networks. Baltimore is a city of high schools. 
So I went back to my high school to the Baltimore Polytechnic Institute, <laughs> and I did a great and my friends gave me money. And the alumni that I reached out to that I did not know, they gave me money. And they were people who were not on my list that I didn't expect. And yeah, I made some mistakes with my first time raising, but I learned a freaking lot. And I raised a great amount of money for someone who has never done And I say, when you read the book, make a call, reach out to the people that you do not know, and just keep pushing. That's what I got. <laughs> That's awesome. I also want to add that I think that um, for a long time one of the problems has been that women and ourselves, we are not great political donors. Um, we donate at a much lower rate than our, uh, our male companions, and we often donate to nonprofits, foundations, museums, libraries. That's great! But if we want to have access to better schools, money for libraries, things like that, we have to go and donate to elected officials that work for us, right? And so I um, have tried really hard when I'm speaking to women and when I'm talking to, you know, women's business groups or any group where there's women gathering, like, are you donating to elected officials? Maybe you're not giving to me. That's fine. I'm not here to ask you for money, but, like, give to a woman who's running for office because we have to, in order to elect more women, we need more women donors. Absolutely. And in the book, I think we highlight the ways in which especially women of color have a harder time raising money just the fact. Yeah. And so we call out, especially to the white women readers, like, are you donating women candidates? Give them money. Are you donating to women of color candidates? Give them money. Um, because that is how you make those change. Um, anyone else want to speak to this before we move on? Okay, cool, cool. Um, so, so I wonder, you know, in the book, we, we talk about the ways in which champagne can work for women in their lives, right? With the full understanding of all that women are doing. We are mothers, we're students, we're daughters, we're teachers, we're doing unpaid labor, we're doing paid labor. Um, on top of all of that, someone's asked you in our office. I wonder, you know, in the course of your campaigning or serving public life, have you had to make any sacrifices when it comes to your time or the money or you're just not available? Have you had to have any? Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, in the book, it was such a big part of the book. We broke it into two parts because we wanted to talk about money and your job. Um, and you have to quit your job to run our office and start an office. Also recognize that not all offices pay a lot of money. Uh, or living wage. I mean, I think in New Hampshire, state legislative members earn a dollar. But also, uh, the time that you stand out of your day and where um, hours you go, maybe to campaign. We also talk about the care that you give, um, and also the self care that you might need, which I feel like is a buzzy word nowadays. It could mean lotion, it could mean a bath, but it also could mean therapy, it could mean medication, it could be running, it could be art, it could be so many different things. So I'd love if you could, um, if we could speak to some of those things that you had to negotiate when thinking about running for office. Mm -hmm. So um, for me, you know, like um, some of the other women up here, I, I have two small kids and, and, and I have a dog even, and I don't know they are. And I do feel like a dog. Yeah, that's just too much. But I, my mother feels with us, and that's such a great, like, I don't know if I would put anything wrong that she wasn't there. Um, she relieved me of some of that help because I know I'm leaving my um, children with someone who may love them even more than me. And grandparents are the best. I love my grandmother. So it does take a little bit of extra stuff, but you need to feel like you're missing um, moments and you're going to a community meeting, your child is extremely free. 
other kids because I want um, both of my sons, like I'm not originally from Baltimore, but they will always be from Baltimore, and I want it to be a place that they're proud of, a place that they feel like they have to believe in order to be successful, and I do everything I can with my time here to, to make that possible, to contribute to make that possible. So for me, the sacrifice is also part of me showing love for them and for my community. Um, but I don't pretend that there's not stressors there. I, I think a good thing for me is that my husband agreed to be my campaign manager, so it was our effort together as a family. It wasn't something that was taking me away from them, and it made us have different conversations than we used to have um, during dinner or things like that. But I felt like it was something that unified us, and um, I, 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 he had to sacrifice as a result, you know, too. But I think they actually brought us closer together even though that might seem odd. Love over Sense. 
And that just opens the door for so many mothers and parents and fathers too. Um, but that's not happening so much at the state and local level where those regulations need to be changed. And so I would say, as you look to your next issue, here you go. Um, so we also include in the book, and I'd love if you could speak to this, is again the cheat sheet for women readers who you know hear things about women candidates. Um, whether it's sexist or racist, we say it's bullshit. Um, but <laughs> we, uh, we want readers to feel armed with some responses that they can interrupt. We've all heard things like, her voice is shrill, she doesn't represent my whole community, she's playing the X card, whether it's you know, race or identity um, or motherhood. Um, and so what we want to do is you know, provide some tips, provide some spaces so that the reader might not know what to say, whether they see it on Twitter or Thanksgiving um, or to the friend over coffee, that they're, they're able to, to start a dialogue and really kind of question the other person on the other side of that. I think that's one way that we can especially help women candidates um, kind of break down some of those stereotypes. I wonder if you've heard some of that either about yourselves or other women and have gotten involved, or what would you say to someone who wants to kind of interrupt some of that dialogue? I guess one of the things that I heard someone saying something like that would be kind of like, so what was it about our candidates you didn't agree with? You know, like they kind of changed it back to like the nation like our hair, but so what was it? Yeah, and I think sometimes you hear too, well, they're not a viable candidate, she's not raising money. And it's like, well, she, she's not, she can't raise money because she's not a viable candidate. And also, like, have you given her money? Like, that's the step one, right? Um, I wonder if anyone in the audience has ever heard any of these types of things about women candidates. Um, okay, so we have about 15 minutes left, so I'd love to open up to questions. Uh, if folks do have any questions for our team panelists, either about what you're running for office or about the platform, or about the lives even, um, I'd love to give you space for that. We just ask that you hold on until the microphone comes to you so that everybody can hear your question. We've got a Q, we've got an A. Or wants to not have it now, you know, whatever it is. Um, and I think that's really important. 
part of what we as women need to do for other women and to make space for different choices. Um, I think one of the reasons that we hear a lot about education, and especially here tonight, is the centrality of um, the importance of public schools to the success of Baltimore City. Right? If you have a great local public school in your neighborhood, your neighborhood's going to be better. Right? You're going to be able to keep people there. It's going to flourish. And so, whether you are a mother sending a uh, child to a public school or not, um, or a father sending a child to a public school or not. Public schools are so central to the health and well-being and future of the city. So I think sometimes that that's one of the reasons we talk. I will say I just had a short survey out of the last email about how and saying how do you feel about schools, public education, and um, the majority, the vast majority of the responses were yes, it's important. Yes, we should invest more. And the majority of people did not have kids. And I thought that was such a really interesting. Tidbit to see that, you, that people get it, right? I'm sure you get it too because you were raised in public school. But, um, but I do, I appreciate your thought and, uh, and, and you bringing that up because it's, I think it's really important that women need space for all women, all women need space for all women in, in these years. And then I want to echo completely. But I do want to just mention as a woman candidate, there are certain things that are going to come up mainly because we could have kids. I would not call it a Muslim candidate because my Shannon, I was pregnant the entire time I was door knocking. So when the door of the city was pregnant, lady, I need to jump in and kind of say some things before they ask me anything. I'm like, oh, I live in a multi-generational household. My mother's there. I mean, these are all the things I have to like, give out before I can say anything else so that they can go, okay, I'll listen to the rest. Because people are looking like, Whether we're parents or we're neighbors or we're Girl Scout leaders or whatever the thing is, um, 
though, is make sure that uh, that generation also can lead everyone. And so whatever the tools that you need, hopefully this book gives you a little bit of that um, so you can get started. Other questions? Yeah, I just want to comment on it because I'm the only woman here because I have children. I have nine nieces and nephews, and I don't know if I would have kids. But what I would tell you, and I would just, I would repeat this in your head 20 times, run. We're women, but we're not a monolith. So we all have different issues. We're fighting for the same thing. One thing that I always say is that I'm fighting for what my community looks like when I'm not here. But if there are issues that you feel that say, working mothers are gonna look to, but we need certain things, like maybe you guys want it, you guys wanna run at night too, but if you have kids, so maybe you can't do it, but I wanna run at night. Sometimes I don't feel safe, maybe that's your issue too. And maybe you can run, and you can also fight for that. So I'll just say that one, and then hear me in your head saying that 20 times. <laughs> Sometimes men might not have to face that level of scrutiny, you know, just of her body. You know, she's righteous, things 
toddler, that that's where some people are going to, you know, kind of focus on. Um, also, some people are running um, in, in, in places where they are the minority demographic. So they're concerned that people might feel, well, how could you represent our community if you don't represent the majority demographic in our community? So there's a lot of things that I think um, um, would, and, and kids in general, but would specifically might feel a little uh, sensitive about that sometimes men might not even think about at all. They can wear literally the same two suits for five years and one day. <laughs> I I was slightly really odd that I wore the dress today because I'm like I had this dress been an IG like too many times. So it's just things that men don't have to ever think about. And um, it, it seems like a small thing, but you know, these are all the things that are sometimes going through your mind, you know? And um, not wanting to appear angry, right? Because maybe the guy gets to be passionate. Right. He's a fighter. Oh, there's like a huge list that we could go on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I remember being on my industry, um, talking to a business owner, and he says, You don't have to have makeup on. You don't need to make up. And I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, Who cares? And I'm like, Anyway, yeah. you would never say, You don't even know yeah. who would know. And I'm like, Who said, like, a clown? I'm like, Really?
so we'll move. Um, but because we've kind of an intimate crowd here tonight, what I'd love to do is for everyone to kind of take a moment and think about a woman in their life that they want to ask to run for office. Uh, it could be someone you're related to, someone you know. Um, it doesn't, doesn't matter. But what I'd love to do is kind of go person to person and just say your name out loud. Um, when we speak words out loud, we tend to make it a promise to the world that that's actually going to happen and become a reality. And I think if more rooms did what we're about to do, we'd have a lot more women on the ballot. Um, so, Martha, I'm I know, I'm like, oh my gosh, I think we're going to uh, too many. Um, too many. Um, okay, um, uh, oh, do you oh, we don't need to. Do the mic, but it will just speak it. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, I'm gonna say Peggy. Oh, to someone else? Rebecca. Thank you. Jessica Clayton. Oh, that's a good Timely. Yes. Stacy. No, Anybody? Jenna. Uh, Emma. Adrian Shevchuk. Come on, Emma. <laughs> <laughs> My mom. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> That's okay. Give us a few, girl. You have to run. It's done. Anybody else wanna? Okay. Great. Well, thank you to our panelists. Um, you guys are amazing, and you've inspired me to just I don't know where I can go. Whatever we can do. This podcast is a production of the Enoch Pratt Free Library and the Maryland State Library Resource Center. For more information and to access more library resources, please visit prattlibrary.org.